Uh, we're going to start, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today, and uh, as I thought this weekend, so I'm here because uh, the, the person that was supposed to preach this weekend um, couldn't make it, and it was last minute, so I couldn't find anybody else to do it, so here I am. Uh, and so I basically was like, okay, I get to write an extra sermon this week. What do I want to say? Because I didn't want to continue with our Attributes of God series because, you know, half of our church is gone. You take 36 dudes out of a church uh, and their exhausted wives watching the kids all weekend without them. Some of them, you know, don't have the energy to make it on Sunday morning. So I didn't want to continue with that series. So what do I want to say this morning? And so I think as we move towards this, the missions offering in a couple of weeks, three weeks to be exact, um, I think that this was appropriate. So Philippians chapter 4. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at least you renewed, renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Uh, as, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Paul was, many consider him the first missionary. He was going, he was the, also the church, first church planter. He was going all throughout the known world planning churches, preaching the gospel, and churches were partnering with him, supporting his ministry. And he said, at this time, he said, you alone, you alone. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, they're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. And our God and Father, and, and to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, um, anybody in here ever learned a lesson in their life? Hopefully everybody, right? Hopefully everybody. I've learned a lot. Uh, sometimes I learn them quickly, sometimes I learn them slowly, right? Sometimes, some lessons we have to learn over and over and over and over before it finally sinks in. What Paul is referring to here in this passage is um, a lesson that he had to learn in his life. Now, uh, the, second, the second hardest lesson I probably ever had to learn in my life was that my parents actually knew what they were talking about. Right? No teenager ever says, I've got the smartest parents in the world. They know, all, they know everything I'm going through. No teenager in the history of the world has ever said that, to my knowledge. But it's true. Right? As a parent now, I tell my kids the same thing. Trust me. You think I don't know what it's like to be in junior high. I was. I was in junior high. I know it's hard to believe, but I was there. I went through all the drama. I know what it's like. And my daughter looks at me like, no, you don't. You have no idea, Dad, what it's like to be in junior high. I'm like, okay. 
But that's the second, one of, probably the second hardest lesson I ever had to learn in my life. The hardest lesson I ever had to learn in my life was that I am not in control. I am not in control of my life. And I think that's one of those lessons that's universal for us as humans to learn. We have to learn this. We are not in control of our lives. Control of our lives lies outside of my hands, my head, and my heart. And we as humans spend most of our lives trying to gain that control that we don't have. And we do it through hundreds, thousands, millions of different ways, but that's what we're doing. We have these ideas that, you know, there are controlling people. I'm not a controlling person. But that doesn't mean that I'm not constantly seeking control over my life. I just seek it through different means. Right? Big struggle for me is gluttony. Right? At its root, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to fill something in myself that I cannot fill. I'm trying to control it. And the sooner we learn this lesson, and the more deeply this lesson resonates in our hearts, the better off we are. The more joy we have, the more fulfillment we have, the more deeply we can know our Savior. When we understand that control over every area of our life lies outside of us. And that's ultimately what this passage is about. right? Paul's interacting with this church in Philippi, thanking them for their gift. For, for the, the gifts that they've sent to him, but he's also preaching to them, right? Right in the middle of that passage, he's teaching them uh, through his own experience. We're gonna, I mean, hopefully you guys see that. This, um, I've said this before, it's probably the most misquoted passage of Scripture and the most out of, taken out of context passage of Scripture in the entire Bible. Let's read it again. Let's go, uh, just verses 10 through 13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at, at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, what is he really saying? He's saying, I've learned that I I've learned to understand that my circumstances do not possess the power to control my joy. I have learned that ultimately that I'm not in control of any of these things, and so I've learned to let go of the control of these things, and I have learned to be content. I know what it is to be in need. Anybody? Right? I know what it is to have plenty. We know that too. We probably know that more than we know the need. Even those of us that are on the lower end of the income scale. We live in the richest country in the history of the world. And it's not even close. 
I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, this is really interesting because it's easy for us uh, in our Christian ethic to say that poor is better. But what's Paul saying here? I have learned the secret of being content in any situation, rich or poor, need and plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. Now, that's a lesson that I have yet to learn, right? Being content while I'm hungry. Uh, Funny story. Last night we were, you know, praying and having a good time. And and, uh, I've been kind of trying to get back in shape this last month, so I've been kind of disciplining myself on my sugar intake. And... uh, so the pastors have this, uh, the pastors that host this camp kind of have a special little area where they hang out and a little house where they stay together. And one of the pastors uh, stocked the kitchen in this, in this place. And uh, so as I'm going through the kitchen looking for snacks to put in my backpack, uh, it's like, you know, Pepsi and M&M's. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Vitamin water. So I grabbed a couple of those, put them in my backpack and and so throughout the day yesterday, as I was running back and forth and hosting this event, running this event, I was, you know, sipping on vitamin water. And we're having this just amazing prayer time last night. And I got my vitamin water and I'm sipping on it and sipping on it. And, and I looked down as somebody else was praying. I was like, this has 25 grams of sugar in it. It's vitamin water. It's supposed to be healthy. And then one of the, so right in the middle of our prayer, I chucked it across the room. And I was like, that stuff's full of sugar. All the guys were like, wait, I thought we were being spiritual. Anyhow, one of the guys was like, actually, there's a lawsuit going down about that. You might be able to get some money out of it. But, but then after we got done praying, I was like, all right, who wants to go get ice cream? Right? And then one of the guys was like, actually, you know, scientifically, when, when you put sugar in your body, like it makes you want more. And that's what's happening right now. And I was like, man, I'm falling off the wagon with both feet. Let's get right? So I have yet to learn the lesson of being content when I'm hungry. But Paul had. And he's not just talking about sugar. He's talking about hunger. Like I haven't eaten for two days. I'm on the road between uh, Greece and Athens kind of hunger. Hunger. I've learned the secret of being content. Whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this. All things. How? How? Through Christ who gives me strength. Now we've taken that verse, verse 13, 413, right? And we've plastered it, plastered it on every bumper sticker, on every coffee cup, on uh, every uh, uh, placekeeper to put in our Bibles, everywhere. We've tattooed it all over, all over our bodies to mean that, I mean, Steph Curry puts this verse on his shoes. You buy Steph Curry Under Armour shoes, it will have this saying on it. This verse has nothing to do with how many three-pointers you make. Or how much weight you will lift. It has to do with control of your life and giving it up. Placing 
the satisfaction of all your desires in the hands of someone else who has the power to fulfill them and recognizing that you don't. That's what Philippians 4.13 means. Now, I have no problem with us tattooing that on our bodies. I just want us to know what it means. Right? One of the sayings this last week, and the guys kept repeating that the speaker said that I think applies perfectly. In fact, I came home this morning. I got home at like 9.45 and sat down back there and scribbled a bunch of notes from Ty Neal, the speaker, into my sermon because I just thought it fit so well. Here's what he said. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If I was going to take this passage of Scripture and paraphrase it into four words, three words actually, that would be it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the question for us as we read this passage is, do I believe that? Do I believe that? The Philippians did, right? Because Paul says that even before you had the opportunity to, 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 to partner with me, to help me, to send me aid, you desired to. They wanted to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. They wanted to sacrifice for the sake of Paul's well-being. They wanted to. Now, here's the problem with a part of this. Um, this idea of contentment. One of the guys shared last night that he'd been really focusing on trying to be content. And what he realized over the weekend as we listened and as we talked and as we prayed was that he was focusing on contentment. What's the problem with that? Our focus is supposed to be on Jesus, right? And so if we focus on contentment and we try to gain contentment, what are we doing? We're still trying to control our lives. Like we're trying to control it in a, in a more godly way, at least according to us, but we're still trying to control it. I'm going to make myself more content. I'm going to give this up. I'm going to sacrifice this. I'm going to be more content. And we're still exhibiting the same control issues that we were before. Our focus needs to be on Jesus, the one who gives contentment. That's why like verse 13 says, I can do all things how? Through him. Through him. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The idea of going all in. All in. Right? Now, uh, we think of that, like when we go, when we think of going all in, we think of like, you know, poker chips. I'm going all in. And that's a, that's a really good illustration. I'm going all in, right? I'm gambling with everything that I have. But we're not gambling on a couple of cards. We're gambling, if you want to call it gambling, on the creator of the universe. It's a safe bet. Just going to fill you in. It's a safe bet. But there is something inside of us. There's something inside every one of us that holds us back from that. Even after we learn that lesson, we have to learn it again and again. It's a daily struggle for every single one of us to do this. 
to give control of our lives over to the one who is actually in control and the one who actually has the power to fulfill everything that we want or need. Times of plenty, times of want. In times of plenty, we struggle with the temptation of pride, right? Or the temptation of gluttony, the temptation to to be satisfied with the cre- the, 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 the creation rather than the creator, right? We have all these things and we enjoy all these things and we think, oh my gosh, my life is so wonderful and we're finding fulfillment in all the things that we have. And in times of want, what do we struggle with? Jealousy? We struggle with despair over the fact that we don't have the things that we want. We don't have the things that that guy has. Or we struggle with uh, control. We try to control our circumstances so that we can get to the place where we have the things that we want that we think will give us the things that we need, right? Now, Jesus talked about money more than anything, and it's not close. Money and hell. Jesus talked about money and hell all the time. And it's funny because those are the two things that, that when we go to churches, typically people don't want to talk about, like, I hope he doesn't talk about money or hell, right? Let's just talk about the love of Jesus. The problem is that Jesus talked about money and hell all the time. What, uh, what is it about money? If we're going to be real, like a $100 bill is a piece of paper, right? We don't, like money isn't the thing. Being rich isn't the thing. It's not what we really want. One of the things that, that Ty asked us last night, the speaker, uh, the main, uh, the question in his passage or his message last night was, what do you want? And so we spent hours last night huddled in a group of 36 guys answer, trying to answer that question. And it got raw and it got real. It was amazing. And it started off in such a way that guys were like, man, I just want to serve Jesus. And I was like, shut up, you're a liar. Not really. But I constantly had to challenge them to say, yes, that's what you want right now because you're feeling this. But on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, Three months from now, what is it the thing, what, what's the thing that drives you? What do you want? It's not money. It's what we believe money will give us. Pleasure, power, control. We all struggle with one of those. Right? Pleasure, power, and control. Money gives us those things. Pleasure, power, control. So when Jesus was constantly talking about money, if you look a little bit closer under the surface, these are the things that he's addressing. Are you willing to give those things up? It has nothing to do with your bank account. But typically, we pursue the bank account because of these things. I know a lot of people who have the bank account that don't pursue those things. They're beautiful, beautiful people. 
they have learned this lesson. They are selfless. They are generous. And you would never know the amount of green that was in their bank account in a million years. I know other people who don't have the bank account. And they are beautiful people. They've learned this lesson. They live their lives content with their circumstances. They are thankful for the things that God provides for them. And they pursue Him with their whole hearts. They are generous, selfless. You see what Paul's getting at? It has nothing to do with how much money is in your bank account. It has nothing to do with the house that you live in. Because often when we hear a sermon like this, when we read a passage like this, we go, oh, I need to live in a smaller house. I need to drive a beater. I need to make myself poor so that I can, that I can, so that I can please Jesus. Paul's not talking about that. He's talking about the fact that you exhibit control over the circumstances of your life. You haven't learned to trust Jesus. We haven't learned to let go and to trust him. We'll never be free of the traps of this world until we learn to trust him. Buy that car. But ask yourself why. Right? Give that money away. Ask yourself why. Ask yourself why. Why do I sacrifice the things I sacrifice? Is it because I want to control uh, something in my life to make myself look better but to, to myself? Right? So one of the things that I said last night as we were talking about what we want, we're trying to get under the surface. What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? I said significance. I want significance. I want to be significant. The problem is the places that I look for it are all the wrong places. I want significance among you. I want to be recognized. I want to be recognized in the world as something. I have a, an idea in my head of what I want to be recognized. And that's different than an idea in my head of what I want to be. You see? I don't want to be this. I just want to be recognized as this. So I'll create a shell so that people recognize me as this, but I'm not addressing anything in my heart to actually become that thing that I want to be recognized as. I don't know if that made any sense. And speaking that last night to those men. Giving it up. This is what I want. Right? Ty said, what do you want? And our wants have to be transformed by the gospel. We have to understand that the source of all our desires lies in Jesus. If Jesus sees me as significant, who cares what anybody else thinks? But have I learned that lesson? Paul had. 
He was unstoppable. Right? Uh, my favorite preacher, Matt Chandler, says Paul was unstoppable because he had learned this lesson. So the guys would be like, uh, we're going to kill you to, live, uh, to die as gain. All right, we'll let you live. To live as Christ. We'll throw you in prison. All right, I'm going to uh, sing songs and convert all your guards. Like you couldn't, because he had learned this lesson. Do what you want with me. I belong to Jesus. Man, I want to learn that lesson. I want to live that way. What do you want? I want us to go home today asking that question. Your husbands, ladies, are all in the middle of the Oregon outback asking themselves this question right now. They're wrestling and they're doing it well. I want us to wrestle too. What do you want? And are you willing to have that want satisfied in Jesus? Are you willing to say, I believe that Jesus is the only one that can give me what I really want? He is the only source where I can get what I really want. The end of John, this is what his passage, and my small group has been reading through the book of John, and we just read this chapter, and so I wanted to share it with you. In John chapter 20, at the end of John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John writes this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the things that are written in the book of John, like why, why did John write the book of John? This is why. He's actually going to tell us. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now, They are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Who's, what's the Christ? What does that mean? That Jesus is the Christ. The Messiah, right? The entire Old Testament is pointing. We talked about this last week on Easter. How the entire Old Testament is pointing to a person that would fulfill every need, every bit of brokenness, every desire that was ever left unmet in humanity. All pointing to one person. And so John says, the entire book of John, right? And I would argue the entire Bible is written so that you may believe that Jesus is that person. What do you want? Whatever you want, what you're really looking for is Jesus. We can only get what we're really looking for if we're willing to give up the control of our circumstances and our lives. It's the only way. It's the only way. We serve a good, good God. So how does this relate, right? I said at the beginning that we're going to talk about this because um, on the 19th we're going to 
we're going to give a bunch of money, right? I want us to make this decision. I want us to understand. I want to make the decision to let go of our lives, let go of the control of our lives. I want us to do this. And we can take active steps to do that. One of those steps is to give sacrificially. We're actively saying, whatever it is that I'm going to go without because I'm giving this up, I'm trusting that thing to you. Now in Scripture, how it gets twisted is that, wait, if we give, we'll get more in return. Right? That's the essence of the prosperity gospel, that we, if, we, if I give money, that I'll get more. Right? And the prosperity would tell us the reason that you don't have more is that because you're not giving. The problem is that they're taking Scripture and they're twisting it just a little bit. They're not looking underneath the words. They're not looking at the desires. They're just looking at the thing. So the thing that I'm going to sacrifice in order to give to the offering on the 19th, I'm trusting the desire of my heart to Jesus. The sacrifice that I'm making, not the money, not the trip that I was going to take, not the car that I was going to buy, not this or that, but what lies underneath of those things. The desires of my heart, I'm saying, I'm trusting the desires of my heart to you. That's the exercise. That's the exercise in giving up control. And when we do that, we can have an unbelievably more amount of joy. That was poorly said. We can have an exponential amount of joy in regards to what we give and who we give to. Here's the thing about our offering. We are not giving money to build ourselves a building. That would be great, but that's not what we're doing. We are giving money, and every penny of it goes from Satan to the ends of the earth to people that are preaching the gospel. We are giving so that others might have the good news that we possess. And there is nothing in the world worth giving to more than that. But I want us to do it right. Last year, we gave, uh, our church gave $50,000 collectively. Look around. I did the math once. We have, we have uh, about 75, between 75 and 80 families in our church. So if you divide up $50,000 between 75 or 80 families, that's a lot of money. We are not rich. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know where it comes from. And God provides. When we bear our hearts before him, he provides. He does impossible things. He works miracles. So we're going to come on the 19th, and we're going to bear our hearts. We're going to bring our change. We're going to bring our change jars. 
right? And that's a wonderful exercise, you guys. Get your kids involved in this. Help them to learn this lesson as children. My parents helped me learn these lessons as children. It gave me a head start, and I still have to wrestle with them daily, but man, I had such a head start. There's something powerful that happens when we go. It's not mine. It's yours. Do with it what you will. That's what we're doing on the 19th. And then we get to sit back and watch what he does with it. Amen? So we're going to sing some more. Chris and Annie are going to come back up. As we sing and as we take communion, here's what I want us to do. I want us to come to the table understanding what it is that we're doing here, right? We come to the table thanking Jesus and reminding ourselves of what he has done. His body that's represented by the bread that was broken. His blood that's represented by the juice that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. He made us whole. He made us whole. He has given us everything and continues to give us everything and so much more than we could need or ask or want. So as we come to the table today, let's do it with open hands. Amen?